Hello, America, and welcome to a new edition of John Solomon Reports. Yes, the podcast from Just the News, where today all sorts of news is breaking out across the country. Uh, But we're going to make some news of our own today. For the first time, speaking publicly in an interview, Rick Gates, the former business partner of Paul Manafort, uh, a key witness for Robert Mueller's investigation, he breaks his silence in an exclusive interview with Just the News. Rick Gates talks about what it was like to be pursued by Robert Mueller, the intentions of Robert Mueller's prosecutors. I think he'll tell you they were ill-intentioned in most cases. They were out to get Trump, Wasn't really wasn't that interested in the truth. He'll tell you the real truth about the famous black ledger that was used to knock Manafort out of the Trump campaign. It was a document leaked in Ukraine. He says it was a fraud and the FBI knew it from the beginning. You're going to hear all sorts of amazing breaking stories on this interview today. And guess what? Because it's so special, I just want to let the interview run all by itself. No monologue today. No other stories to mention. We just want to bring you Rick Gates live from uh, Just the News and John Solomon Reports. It's a remarkable uh, interview. You're going to get insights into what was going on in Ukraine with Hunter Biden and Joe Biden, with what went on in the Russia case and what the prosecutors and FBI were doing. Uh, Rick is going to divulge that the FBI first investigated Manafort and shut it down in 2014, didn't see anything wrong, and then resurrected the case unexpectedly. All of those things are in the interview upcoming, and so we're not going to spend much time talking about anything else. We're going to let you hear right from Rick Gates. But first, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. When we come back, an exclusive interview with Russia case figure Rick Gates, former Paul Manafort, a business partner, former witness for Robert Mueller's investigation. You do not want to miss this big interview. Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year, and then the inflation data came out higher than expected again, just like we've been predicting. Friends, this isn't going away anytime soon. It can't. The U.S. is $34 plus trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher, whether it's at the grocery cart or at the gas store. So you can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. All you got to do to get started, text Just News to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation. The way to do it with gold. All you got to do to get started on that journey with my good friend who I trust more than anyone at Birch Gold Group. Text Just News to 989898 right now. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest talking to us for the very first time, uh, Rick Gates, the former deputy campaign manager for President Trump's uh, campaign back in 2016, uh, who, a man who encountered Robert Mueller directly and now has two very important books out. I'm going to give you the titles right now. you got to check these out. To Plea or Not to Plea, the story of Rick Gates and the Mueller investigation. And the second one is Wicked Game, an insider story on how Trump won, Mueller failed, and America lost. Rick, welcome to the show. 
John, thanks very much for having me. Good to hear you. Yeah, it's good. Good to be with you. So tell me what inspired these books. I mean, obviously, you have one of the most extraordinary experiences on the inside of this Russia collusion false narrative. Um, what gave you the inspiration to do this? Sure. I just want to clarify one thing real quick. The sure. first book was actually uh, written by an author, um, not by me. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it was a description, the plea or not to plea. And the, the one that I wrote was Wicked Game. Wicked Game. I'm sorry about that. That's right. So the first one was a, a third party writing about your experiences. Exactly. And so the, the inspiration for Wicked Game was, um, you know, it was a combination of things. But uh, having uh, my voice taken away for the better part of two years uh, under a cooperation agreement with Robert Mueller, um, I had the opportunity to go back and really look at uh, the campaign in 2016, how the political process was broken. And then obviously in my own experiences going through what I did with uh, Robert Mueller, uh, being able to show how the justice system was broken. So those two themes are the predominant themes in the book. And uh, the other thing I wanted to do is kind of stand back and let the American people uh, witness uh, what I was able to see uh, during the campaign uh, and other events uh, throughout 2016 and 2017, and wanted to give the readers just kind of a unique perspective uh, on the president. I mean, he's the first uh, you know leader that we've had is not a politician, and there were a lot of interesting characteristics uh, about this race um, and how unique it was. And I just wanted to let people see that with without any opinion or speculation. Um, and they can draw their own conclusions, but it was a good opportunity to be able to do that. Now, uh, you it's clear that even though you've been through a lot of pain and suffering the last few years with the Mueller investigation, the conviction, having to cooperate, having your voice silenced, as you said, you're still a big supporter of the president, right? I am. Uh, absolutely. I think he has been the most decisive leader since we've had since uh, Dwight Eisenhower. Um, he, he is who he is. And uh, I think his message resonated um, obviously with a great number of Americans in 2016. And a lot of that message was centered on how broken the government is. And uh, that was a big part of it. And, and being able to watch it firsthand, um, I was fascinated by how somebody could basically rise to never holding a political office to becoming president of the United States. And uh, I fully support his policies and what he's been doing. And I think, you know, frankly, he's done a great job considering everything he's been up against. Yeah, it's, it's an amazing thing to watch. And here we are four years later. We still don't know everything that went on in the 2016 election with the with the fake scandal that, that we now believe Hillary Clinton started, that the FBI and CIA were aware of and kept going uh, in an effort to unseat the president in the election. And when that failed, to thwart his presidency. As you look back now, what is the most... Um, seminal story you have that really shows what these prosecutors, FBI agents were up to, what the real motives were versus the stated motives of the investigation? Well, John, I'd like to tell you it's one, but there are several uh, <laughs> stories where I felt that after going through this, um, that it was just an absolute uh, travesty of, of justice and the way our justice system can be weaponized. Uh, against so many different people. The, one of the, the, the uh, items I put in my book that was most uh, revelatory is the fact that Robert Mueller was literally non-existent uh, during my almost 1,000 hours of cooperation with his office. 
Uh, and it wasn't just he was non-existent in, 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 in his physical presence, but, you know, he was rarely mentioned in any of the interviews. There was no discussion of needing, you know, to talk to Bob Mueller or anything by the prosecutors. And the way that they had structured their operation was kind of in silos. So I thought that was really uh, odd that, uh, you know, Mueller did not sit uh, in any of my, uh, you know, witness testimonies. Um, and uh, later I learned in, in talking to other uh, witnesses that that was the case for them as well. Um, so for me, it raised a big question of who was really running uh, the investigation. Uh, and then I would say it was the tactics uh, that they used, John. I mean, there was no question that they were trying to get to the president. Um, you know, one thing that, of course, I found out later on is when uh, Rod Rosenstein's scope letters were finally unredacted, um, you know, I was mentioned in the third and final letter, uh, which was issued on October 20th. Um, as you know, my indictment was uh, October uh, 29th. Um, that's a very, very quick turnaround for an authorization of an investigation uh, and indicting somebody seven days later. There are a lot of issues um, that still, I think, need to be uncovered. Uh, I think the truth needs to come out. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think we really need to take a hard look because I absolutely agree with the president on this point. This should never, ever happen again to any president or any American citizen again. Now, it's pretty extraordinary um, and uh, when you, you talk about Mueller being non-existent, and we kind of got a sense of that when he testified, and he couldn't even be versant on the most basic details of the case. He was familiar with a name, unfamiliar with names and, and evidence that obviously should have been critical to anyone running the investigation. Uh, if he wasn't in charge, who do you think really was in charge of this investigation? Absolutely. From my observations, it was Andrew Weissman, and he seemed to be calling the shots. He seemed to be leading the charge. Again, you know, if, if I knew now what I knew back then, um, I absolutely would have, you know, taken a different path. Um, because when uh, Weissman has, has weaponized the law the way that he did against uh, so many of us, and particularly, you know, me, because he was the uh, lead prosecutor in charge of uh, Paul Manafort's um, uh, section, it became clear that he was going to use every tactic that he had ever learned uh, in his career as a prosecutor. And, and as you know, many of your listeners know, uh, he has done that in a very uh, unethical uh, and immoral way. And uh, did you have a strong sense that he was a partisan or just a, a hard charging prosecutor? Oh, no, absolutely partisan from uh, the day before he started. Uh, again, new information has come out that, uh, you know, even before he was tapped to be part of Bob Mueller's team, Andrew Weissman was already investigating uh, at least one, uh, but more likely uh, others as well, uh, including Paul Manafort, um, before the uh, authorization was even given uh, to do that. And as we, I think, find, you know, more details um, hopefully all of this will come to light uh, because we, we cannot have partisan people in these key critical roles. And if there's anything that we've learned from the, you know, uh, Russia collusion investigation, uh, it's that it was absolutely politically motivated. It's not a conspiracy theory anymore. We now have hard, concrete proof and evidence, yeah. in fact, that suggests this from a number of players on the inside. And yes, most of them were DC establishment players and Andrew Weissman was right there, you know, with them. 
It's pretty extraordinary. And uh, just a couple of days ago, we broke it just the news, the fact that there are more text messages. And it shows um, <clears throat> Andy McCabe, the deputy director of the FBI, the guy really running the day-to-day operations of the bureau, uh, right beneath James Comey, texting often with his lawyer, Lisa Page, who was also connected to uh, Peter Strzok, uh, and trading in uh, all the anti-Trump stories of the 2016 election, stories in Slate, uh, a story in Lawfare that suggested Trump was a, a secret Russian agent, and you can go through them all. But it was remarkable for, first, the anti-Trump nature of the stories they were trading in, and secondly, they appeared to have been on a first-name basis with, with lots of reporters, including those at the New York Times. So they were reading and trafficking in these anti-Trump stories, and they were in touch with the very reporters who um, were driving the narrative, the Russia collusion narrative that ends up uh, ensnaring you and so many other uh, people. When you look back, how big a role or how important or troubling is the alliance that we now see between the FBI and the news media uh, driving a story. We see the FBI using news stories to confirm their own investigation when it was circular reporting, but it seems like there was some symbiotic relationship and the loss of separation, the loss of independence fell away. Did, Did you sense that as you were watching reporters cover your part of the story? Absolutely. And I think, you know, early on, again, you know, we know a lot more today than we did back then. Um, There was still a clear, um, uh, you know, situation where the media wanted to just inflame the the Russian narrative. And there are instances along the way that we learned that uh, individuals within the special counsel's office had leaked material. Uh, There was one instance where uh, a part of uh, one of my 302 statements uh, was leaked to a reporter. Wow. Um, So there were a number of instances where, you know, we were very aware that it was almost as if the the special counsel and the media were colluding more so than uh, anybody in, in the Trump administration. And it just created a very, very difficult environment for us. And, and, and frankly, one of the things that I am um, uh, shocked and appalled at the same time is the number of people that were involved. This is not just, you know, one or two bad apples. Uh, inside the DOJ or the FBI. But this is clear that it is a group of people that felt that the president should not be president. And they had a better sense of how the country needed to be led than uh, the over 60 million people that you know duly elected uh, Donald Trump president. Yeah, it's, it's really remarkable. And I think what also separated the group is that many people probably have these political opinions, but when they walk across the threshold every day into the office, they've never exercised them. There were agents I knew that you know chafed at some of the things that Bill Clinton did. Clearly, Louis Free, the FBI director, was very angry that uh, President Clinton wouldn't pursue Iran in the Cobar Towers, but they didn't let it affect their day-to-day work. They didn't bring that politics into the office. And then do silly things like submit a knowingly false uh, warrant uh, for a FISA. What do you think has happened to these institutions, the Justice Department, and by uh, extension, this special counsel office, which are all DOJ people, uh, the FBI, the CIA, the news media? How did they lose their neutrality over these last few years? Have you given some thought to the consequences and also the origins of this sort of partisan era of bureaucracy? Absolutely, John. I've had a little over three years to give it uh, considerable thought. In fact. <laughs> that you have, and, and 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 let me just say, it is very um, it's very frustrating 
to sit back and, and watch how this investigation um, has uh, completely divided our country. And, you know, I've said to other people along the way that the real winner in this are our adversaries, you know, uh, Russia, China, Iran. All they've had to do is sit back and watch America tear itself apart from within. And, you know, I, I you know, respectfully but absolutely disagree with uh, the Inspector General Michael Horowitz when he put in his report that there was no political bias, um, you know, based on, on his investigation. Uh, you ask any psychologist, they will tell you it is absolutely uh, near impossible for somebody to have some of the emotions and feelings uh, and, and just absolute negative opinion of Donald Trump and then to go in and do their job, uh, particularly in the FBI and DOJ where they're dealing with the law and federal investigations and not to be partisan about it. There's no way that they could separate their partisan nature and their feelings versus the work that they had to do. Uh, and I think that's a big part of, you know, as we look back on, on this investigation, you know, what the American people are going to have to kind of judge and conclude for themselves um, is that we now have, you know, individuals within these institutions that have largely been protected by one part of the law. And then there's another justice uh, part of the justice system that uh, will target and, and be weaponized against people that don't fit uh, into you know, their narrative or uh, what they're trying you know, to achieve. So it is, it is a, a much bigger issue. The divisiveness in America has certainly exasperated it. Um, you know, I don't think we've ever had a president in the history of our country attacked uh, more than President Trump, particularly on this issue. Um, so, you know, people ask me all the time why he's angry. Well, I mean, he was attacked before he was even inaugurated on, on this Russia investigation issue by the FBI, by the DOJ, and by other agencies and, and, and Congress as well. So I think, you know, we need to reflect, you know, long and hard on the partisanship and the nature of which people bring their politics into the office. And honestly, I don't I have an answer for it. I think that's going to require a lot of training and a lot of people to be able to step back and not have those partisan feelings because it absolutely came out uh, in this investigation. Now, a little bit ago, <clears throat> you said if you knew today, what, or if you knew then what you knew today, you might have chosen a di different path. Might you have gone to court and contested these charges? Do you regret the plea deal now as you look back, given all that you've learned? Or, or what did you mean by that statement? Yeah, I mean, that's part of it. I, I've obviously learned a lot, uh, you know, over, over this period of time. But I'd say one thing uh, with absolute certainty, and, and this is kind of the other major theme of my book, when, you know, you are inside the justice system looking out, it's a much different view. And uh, it's, a, it's a, a, an incredibly harsh view. Um, our justice system is broken uh, in uh, many respects. And unfortunately, given the nature and high-profile high status of the Russia investigation, the special counsel you know, brought some of the, the best and brightest prosecutors who also knew how to manipulate, mangle, and weaponize the law. And I think you know, we got the, 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 the brunt end of it. And absolutely, there are a number of instances where if you look at some of the charges that were brought against me specifically, including the Farrah charge uh, and uh, the, the bank charges, um, those uh, for other people were resolved uh, either civilly or in the case of Farrah, the other six individuals were able to retroactively go back and file with no consequence. But that was never given to me as an option. 
uh, kind of same thing on, on the taxation issues. Most of that has to go through the Department of Justice um, taxation department. There's a process that, that people use to go through and to identify if somebody has not paid enough in taxes. And so they're able to resolve that, uh, you know, uh, in, a, in a way that, you know, could lead to a civil proceeding uh, as opposed to criminal. We never had that opportunity. They, these were charges that were brought up for one specific purpose, and that was to get us to uh, flip, plea, cooperate, whatever, uh, to uh, ultimately get to the president. The irony in all this, John, is that there was nothing on the president. I never had anything on the president. Uh, I worked for him, you know, during the campaign. So I didn't really have any insight into his businesses, which I think was a you know an area that uh, the special counsel wanted to target. Um, but I think this will look. They they predetermined the conclusion, uh, you know, of the investigation, and then they went looking for the evidence. Um, we know that in, in August of 2017, the FBI concluded that there was no collusion by any member of the Trump campaign and any Russian asset or Russian official. Right. And and that is the the most you know uh, frustrating piece of news for me personally because you know, the indictments didn't come down in October. So what occurred between August and October of 2017 that both kept the investigation open and targeted a host of, addi uh, of additional people um, that, uh, you know, were also brought into this as a way to leverage these people to get to people higher on the pyramid scale. Now, <clears throat> you uh, obviously worked with Paul Manafort. That became the, the root of your problems with the uh, with the special counsel's office. Um, any regrets uh, on the work you did in Ukraine working with Manafort, or is, is this just an unfortunate outcome of the politics of the situation? Look, I, you know, as, as we all know, there's always things about people that we don't know. So, um, you know, in, in my book, I, I, I look at Paul, but from the perspective of his work. Um, you know, I didn't know him personally that well. We were not on the, the same social paths. Right. Um, you know, he had a much different group of people that he interacted with socially. So most of the interaction I had with him was on the business side. And from that standpoint, you know, as I say in the book, he, he's still one of the most, uh, you know, brilliant political strategists. Um, you know, I've ever had the opportunity to work with. And apart from what you might think about him as a person, uh, you know, his assistance in helping get, you know, Trump elected is, you know, uh, it, it's absolutely undisputable. And uh, I think that, you know, when you separate the person uh, from the work, um, you know, people will, will have a much different picture. Um, so I, I make... No, you know, uh, bones about it in terms of um, not defending him uh, or his actions. Um, but I certainly want people to understand the role that he played, not only in um, the Trump campaign, but also in his work politically, you know, uh, across other parts of the world, because I think it gives people a good understanding of how political operatives uh, can work and what they can actually do on some of these uh, campaigns. Now, before he became the Democrats' uh, uh, poster child for Russia collusion, he uh, previously did a lot of work with the Obama administration trying to help them navigate the tricks of the Yanukovych um, uh, presidency in Ukraine. That was a Russian-friendly uh, president in Ukraine that the Obama administration often chafed at. Um, that's a part of the story that often hasn't gotten attention. Before Democrats were against Paul Manafort, they were for him because you and he— provided your U.S. government a lot of assistance in trying to figure out and navigate very tricky issues of diplomacy with the Yanukovych um, uh, presidency and his aides and other folks. 
Tell me a little bit about what that is like and the fact that that hasn't, there should more attention be focused on what the Obama administration did with you guys when you were helping them. Absolutely. And I, I think this is one of the, the, the greatest tragedies with respect to the fair charges that were ultimately brought against Paul. Uh, people in Washington, D.C., Democrats and Republicans, have known that Paul's been working in Ukraine for the Party of Regions for over a decade. He right. worked for four different American ambassadors promoting and working to uh, insert American foreign policy into uh, the country of Ukraine and into its political system. So this whole notion that, you know, he uh, it was working for, you know, pro-Russian assets, absolutely ludicrous. There was never any proof, evidence of that. Uh, and it just became a, a rumor that the Democrats were able to use and seize upon, given Paul's work uh, in that region. And I think that it is just an absolute, um, you know, injustice to uh, hold a different standard of the law, you know, to Paul uh, and me by de facto, um, uh, you know, situation as well, as opposed to, you know, letting the other people um, retroactively file in this case. And Obama was very, in fact, one of the examples I use in my book is uh, in 2010, Paul was very instrumental in convincing then President Yanukovych to agree to a, a nuclear arms uh, reduction right. and turning over nuclear nuclear material to the Obama administration. Yeah. And I so few people that know that, that, do they? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a great point. I, I actually include a chapter in the book that goes into a lot of the history of Ukraine, because ironically, nobody ever thought that the country of Ukraine was going to be the epicenter of uh, U.S. politics, uh, both as it's impacted President Trump and as it formally and currently impacts Joe Biden. Yeah, no, that's such a great point. Now, one of the <clears throat> documents that came up in, uh, well, let's take one other thing before I want to actually ask this. The FBI, all the allegations that ultimately result in you getting indicted and Manafort getting indicted and convicted uh, was uh, uh, previously investigated in 2014, right? You guys all sat in 2014 with the FBI and explained these financial transactions, and they chose then not to take action. Is that correct? That is absolutely correct. And not only that, John, in 2014, when we sat with the FBI, it was voluntary, and we were asked to help them track assets uh, from the previous uh, Ukrainian government regime uh, and and where they might have gone. So the the, um, the the idea that was put out to us by the FBI at the time was that they needed you know our help. Now much later on we learned it was also a part of investigation to examine uh, Paul Manafort's uh, business. but at that time and even later, uh, you know for what almost three years later, um, there was never anything that was raised that would lead to a, a criminal uh, investigation uh, against Paul or me. It's a pretty extraordinary moment that doesn't get talked about. Now, in 2016, the new hammer falls when there's a document called uh, the Black Ledger that's discovered in uh, Ukraine by a, a reformist uh, parliamentary member in The New York Times and some other folks. I had the pleasure of reading through some of your 302 reports when you were debriefed by the Mueller team, your interview reports, and you made a very important point that that document, which, by the way, really was the kerosene on the fire for the Manafort portion of the Russia collusion case, that that document was the second you looked at it, you knew it was a fraud. Tell me a little bit more about that and the fact that that might have been a political dirty trick in Ukraine. 
Yeah, absolutely. It is a point that often goes um, overlooked. Uh, and it, it's such a kind of important point because uh, not only did it lead to um, some efforts to further investigate Paul, but obviously it led to his departure on the campaign. Uh, first and foremost, I don't know how many people have ever tried to carry you know, 12 million in cash but uh, that is a, a very difficult. <laughs> it's task a heavy load, I suspect. Anybody. Yeah, exactly. So the, the, the idea and the headline itself were ludicrous, but we knew right away. And again, if you spend any time in the region, uh, in the Eastern European region, you know, documents are forged all the time. <laughs> and so right away, when it was alleged that the document was a copy uh, of a ledger that, quote, no longer existed, we knew that wasn't accurate at all. And it took several years, as you well know, to uh, debunk this uh, entire myth. And then we found, you know, that it was associated uh, with people uh, on the Democrat side and, you know, particularly uh, George Soros. And, um, you know, again, it, it didn't help uh, Paul in, in August of 2016, but the truth eventually did come out. And, and frankly, I'm still waiting for a retraction from the New York Times on this story that first reported it. And, and we had at the time commented that it was wrong, um, but they haven't uh, corrected their uh, mistake yet. Wow. And so when you look at it, is this another part of the political dirty trick that this was a fake document just to try to get attention rejuvenated on on something the FBI had looked at and, and walked away from in 2014? Part of the just like the Christopher Steele dossier and everything. Do you look back at it now and just say, man, that was one. Those Democrats, they're pretty good at Demo uh, uh, dirty political tricks. Yeah. And this is an important point, John, because uh, most people don't realize like this story had nothing to do with the uh, ultimate Russia investigation. In right. fact, this was a, uh, an attempt over several months to generate negative coverage on Paul, because at the time that Paul came to the campaign in March of 2016, he was probably the senior uh, most uh, experienced person uh, on the campaign. And people uh, looked at it as a real viable campaign now. And then when, um, you know, uh, Donald Trump was able to secure the nomination uh, at the beginning of March, uh, that really changed the game for a lot of people. And the Democrats became really worried that with Paul's kind of strategic guidance that somebody like President Trump with his message and his, um, you know, authenticity could, could off, right? actually win. Yeah. So in many ways, it's a form of the insurance policy, right? To make, get get the best people around him sidelined, and um, and keep them out of there. When you um, yes, when when you look at this now, and um, you you look back at all you saw in Ukraine at the time, uh, you said that you often helped the government understand what was going on in the Yanukovych administration. When did when if ever? Did the Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, Burisma stuff ever come on your your uh, radar? Did you ever hear whispers? Anyone in Ukraine ever tell you why Hunter Biden was put on a Ukrainian gas board with no gas experience, no Ukrainian experience? Did did anyone offer any um, uh, insights in real time before it became the controversy it was uh, that would explain how we ended up with that, that whole question of Burisma, Biden and uh, conflicts of interest? Yeah, interestingly, uh, I was there for uh, one of the political elections when uh, Joe Biden flew in for his trip and uh, later learned that 
uh, Hunter, uh, his son, was uh, involved with that effort as well. Uh, and while I didn't have, you know, intimate details about their business, uh, Burisma as a company was pretty well known. And anybody that's associated in Ukrainian politics, uh, which we certainly had been for, at this point, almost eight years, um, had understood which, which Ukrainian businessmen were behind that. Uh, and why they would bring somebody like Hunter Biden on board who had no experience whatsoever in that industry. And it is uh, easy to, to suggest uh, that the basic rationale for it was because his father was the vice president and would obviously um, in, 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 you know, endear this kind of pay to play type uh, scenario where Hunter was able to look at uh, using his father's position uh, and title uh, to uh, monetize it. And, and at least from the you know, individuals that I talked to in Ukraine at the time, uh, it was not a surprise at all. And it was very commonplace for something like this to happen in that part of the world. So everybody wrote it off as simply, this, is, this makes complete sense. Why, if your dad's the vice president, why wouldn't you use it? You know, to try to uh, create this this optic uh, that uh, he can help you, uh, and obviously the Ukrainian government looked at it as well as a potential opportunity to um, lobby, you know, the vice president at the time on various foreign policy matters. Yeah, and when you look back, because you understood the culture of the Yanukovych administration, and quite quite large, Yanukovych administration was nothing more than a much larger culture of Ukraine, where everything is pay to play and everybody has their digs into someone else. Um, was Hunter really just an act, putting Hunter on the board, though he wasn't necessarily qualified by his own acknowledgement, was it just an effort to buy protection money, basically, that the Biden administration won't come after uh, Burisma as long as Hunter Biden was on the board? Was that, was that your assessment of how the culture worked? Yeah, that was one aspect of it. Absolutely. It wasn't just for protection, but it was also for business expansion right. as well. And so there were multiple fronts uh, that the uh, decision was, you know, from there, from Burisma's perspective, very well warranted. Uh, and sometimes, as, as everybody knows, there's, there's not a amount of money that can, you know, buy that type of uh, access or influence uh, or ability to play an active role if the, you know, occasion uh, arises. And I, I think that's, you know, unfortunate, you know, because, you know, kind of in Ukraine, there, there's, there's a saying, you know, politics is a blood sport. But uh, <laughs> what, what really binds everybody is the business. So the interesting and ironic thing about Ukraine is you might see two political candidates uh, just bang away at each other in, a, in an election. But in reality, uh, they're business partners, you know, and so that's something that we don't really uh, have or adhere to kind of in America. So the business is, is what really binds, um, you know, Ukrainians, uh, particularly Ukrainian businessmen, wealthy businessmen uh, together. So from that perspective, it makes a whole lot of sense, even more so than maybe even Hunter Biden realized uh, why putting him on the board made uh, absolute business sense. Uh, and also it helped on the political side as well. It's uh, an extraordinary thing to see the uh, the tilt of uh, Ukraine go against the Republicans when the Democrats have their own liabilities there. When you step back now, Wicked Game is such a great contribution to the the storyline that we now have, which that we were deceived on back in 16 and 17. 
What's the biggest takeaway you want Americans to take from this book? It's a great book. Uh, I, your story is so compelling, and uh, you, you write it with such a sort of clarity that everybody understands at the end of the day what you saw, why you did what you did, what regrets you have. But what's the biggest takeaway you want Americans to take from this book? Sure. I, I think, you know, if you, if you sum it up, that we can look back at this time and we can uh, do one of two things. We can, um, you know, kind of chalk it up to uh, another unfortunate, you know, period in, in America's history where you have the Mueller investigation, uh, which will be known uh, as the greatest crime perpetrated by Americans against Americans on American soil. And I think our, our democracy and our country are the worst off for it. Um, and, and so we can either look at that and, and just kind of, you know, ignore it and move on, or we can actually stop and think what all this has done, not just to our country, but how our adversaries have used our own divisiveness against us. And, and what I'd love to, you know, see, John, out of this is, is an opportunity for people to be able to debate politics, to talk, uh, you know, amongst each other and, and, and to honestly, you know, listen. I think we've lost the ability to listen and, and hear another person's side or point of view or opinion um, because we're, we're just kind of so inflamed, uh, you know, from this. And, and the other thing, you know, I, I really wanted people to understand is, you know, th throughout the time that I worked, you know, for uh, President Trump, you know, everybody said he kind of created the chaos. That is absolutely not true. He didn't create the chaos. The chaos has been in America for decades. You could trace it back to as early as 2000, you know, we had chaos in the country. So I think the idea that, you know, everything, you know, that's wrong with America now or what people would perceive as wrong uh, is, is not Donald Trump's fault at all. In fact, he was the one that was able to tap in to that resentment over what I believe is, is the real problem, and that is the political system and the justice system. Right. Um, you know, I, I like to say, you know, the, you know, President Trump actually had, in, in a lot of cases, a more difficult time fighting against the Republican establishment while he was running than he did against Hillary Clinton. And I think that's important for Americans to understand how our political system works and or doesn't work, and same thing with the justice system, so that we can figure out ways to make it better. And I think that's really the, the learning lesson. If I think if anybody uh, was, was should be angry at this, you know, it, it would certainly you know be me. And I think that if you let if you let the anger you know kind of consume you, it, it'll destroy you. Anger is destructive. Uh, so you yeah, just have to step back. I thought you know Alan Simpson had a great quote um, uh, with uh, George H. W. Bush's funeral. He said, you know, hatred corrodes the container that carries it. And I, I, I tried to you know, say that to myself because I really do think that we have an opportunity here to learn if, if we allow ourselves to do that. That is the key thing. Will we, will we see with 2020 Vision what we did wrong and try to fix it? That's a great question raised by this incredible book. Folks, if you haven't got it, you've got to read this book. This is a must read. Wicked Game, an insider story on how Trump won, Mother failed, and America lost. The book is by Rick Gates, one of the most important figures in the Russia story, and somebody whose truth-telling is, uh, I think, going to be eye-opening for anyone who didn't understand how the Mueller team and the FBI worked in this case. Rick, we want to thank you so much for coming on today and uh, wish you well, and let's hope to have you back soon. I'm sure we'll have more things Ukraine, Russia, and America to talk about, so let's, uh, let's get you back on soon. John, thanks so much, and I would love to come back on any time. appreciate it. All right, folks, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. When we come back, we'll wrap things up. 
You know what, folks? Stress may be why you can't lose weight. If you've got moderate to high stress like I do, a doctor-formulated weight loss supplement called Lean could be your solution. Chronic stress wreaks havoc on blood sugar, which can cause your body to store excess fat. Stress can also slow your metabolism, which fuels weight gain. And you know all about stress eating and sugar cravings, right? Now the good news. The studied ingredients in Lean have been shown to help maintain healthy blood sugar levels, help optimize metabolism, and keep your appetite under control. Now, if your life is a bit stressful like mine and you want to lose weight, add lean to your healthy diet and exercise lifestyle. Now, get 15% off and free shipping at takelean.com. That's takelean.com and enter the promo code justnews15. That's the promo code justnews15 at takelean.com. One more time, takelean.com. Statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, and it's not a substitute or alternative for care from a health care provider. Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year, and then the inflation data came out higher than expected again, just like we've been predicting. Friends, this isn't going away anytime soon. It can't. The U.S. is $34 plus trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher, whether it's at the grocery cart or at the gas store. So you can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation, and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold, and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. All you got to do to get started, text Just News to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation. The way to do it, with gold. All you got to do to get started on that journey with my good friend, who I trust more than anyone at Birch Gold Group. Text Just News to 989898 right now. All right, folks, if your head isn't spinning, I'm sure it is. Mine is. That's uh, about all we have for today in this special edition of the John Solomon Reports podcast. We hope you enjoy the time we had with Rick Gates. Uh, a lot of insight, a lot of information, a lot of new news about Robert Mueller, Andrew Weissman, uh, the Bidens in Ukraine. Uh, so much more uh, brought to you in this exclusive interview. Hope you enjoyed it. Tomorrow we'll be back with another guest. Uh, I'm hearing it might be someone from, oh, I'm going to tease you, Hollywood. That's right. We're going to have a guest from Hollywood tomorrow. That's what I'm hearing. Uh, until then, have a safe night. Enjoy your ride home and your time with your family. We'll be back with you tomorrow afternoon. Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year, and then the inflation data came out higher than expected again, just like we've been predicting. Friends, this isn't going away anytime soon. It can't. The U.S. is $34 plus trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher, whether it's at the grocery cart or at the gas store. So, you can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. All you got to do to get started, text Just News to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation. The way to do it with gold. All you got to do to get started on that journey with my good friends who I trust more than anyone at Birch Gold Group, 
text just news to 989898 98 98 right now.